0: And Welcome to episode 393 of The Crate and Crowbar, a gaming podcast being recorded on the 24th of February 2022, mere hours before the games we are about to talk about are made wholly irrelevant by the release of Elden Ring, the biggest game of the year we haven't played. I'm Marsh Davis, I'm joined this evening by Chris Thurston. Thank you very much. What's the uh, game you want to pointlessly talk about even though no one will care? <laughs>
1: The game I will I will go back to playing for a couple of hours uh, when we finish recording this before inevitably um, riding a horse for a bit. I don't know what I'll be doing after that in Elden Ring um, is uh, Destiny 2. I thought I would get this out of the way because I feel like the moment I said those words, a little timer started somewhere in Marsh's <laughs> brain and possibly in the brains of any of the people listening. Um But I feel like this is my uh, annual opportunity to speak out loud about my thoughts and feelings about the only game I really play, let's be honest, Uh, (laughs) apart from the the scant hour here or there that I managed to invest in in something else every now and then. Um, Obviously, I believe that will change for a new From Software game. But Destiny got its uh, first big expansion in about 18 months this week. And it's very, very good. And I think I can talk about the ways in which it's very, very good, um, in ways that hopefully are. Uh, I, I don't. I was thinking about this before deciding what to say about the game. And what is really interesting about it is, I think they have made a ton of changes, which will be abstractly interesting, um, or at least sort of an interesting, speak to an interesting um, direction or greater wisdom about the kind of game they're making and why. Um, I have no idea whether this is. Uh, means that this is a good time to play destiny or if it necessarily comes to this sort of Mm. recommendation um could you jump on at this point you can and well i mean maybe that's maybe that's the position to start from destiny has really gone from strength to strength in the last couple of years in many ways except as an experience for new players where it is failing quite badly And that is a real shame. Some of that was introduced by the need that they encountered to, they call it vaulting, but basically just remove massive chunks of the game. Um, Because for tech reasons, engine reasons, and download size limitation reasons, they simply couldn't maintain the amount of content that they um, anticipated the game kind of growing to become over the course of multiple expansions. This is Destiny 2 specific. Mm. so they, you know, full on removed the original campaign for the game, which just cannot be played anymore. Um, and as of this uh, latest expansion, uh, they have removed now the first three expansions that the game got, including as of this week uh, the the, cam- the uh, expansion Forsaken, which was extremely well received. They have rec- removed basically half of it, but the the, the single player half essentially. Um, and um what this means is you it is a extremely disjointed experience to come into for new players um Mm -hmm. notoriously bad because while there is like they when they did this initial change they did um uh introduce a new new player experience um it's not great it's not massively compelling and also at the end of it it they there's a point where they kind of have to just give up and dump you into the game and say like well good luck and then after that they have they have managed to fuck this up in ways that are funny but not necessarily (laughs) great so uh, for example over christmas it was bungie's 30th anniversary as a company and there was a little update like a mini expansion um pretty small but kind of a fun kind of thing where uh you know they, they did a very good job of uh, bringing some Halo weapons into Destiny while making it very obvious that's what they were doing, but dancing around the fact that they don't have the IP <laughs> in a way that was very elegant, like um, using old Halo 2 slang, like the three-letter acronyms of the Halo 2 communi- multiplayer community that crucially aren't in-game, but are things that the c- players said to each other as uh-huh. the names for guns in Destiny. So right. it's like kind of just cute stuff like that. But... Uh, as part of that they introduced a new kind of like uh arena firefight type horde mode i'm um, called dares of eternity uh where a it's a game show hosted by a wretched sort of space ghost goblin man and his master a celestial horse of course um yeah um and this is i i could i mean this is this is several months old and destiny standard so i get to the new stuff but this is good for several reasons one is they, they introduced this enigmatic star horse kind of thing just in the kind of background of a scene several quite serious expansions ago. And it's very abundantly clear they had no idea what it was. It was just, it was just one of these rule of cool destiny enigmas. And with that, and as they're doing so much work to round up Loose ends and the plot, and tie this whole thing together, and move the narrative forward in a way that I find genuinely great. I sort of love that with this expansion, they decided to simply give up on that. <laughs> and so, what what's what what was the significance of the celestial horse? Well, its name is Star Horse, and it hosts a game show. Why? Fuck you. Um, <laughs> um, but the thing, the reason I was getting onto this is um, when they launched this little mini expansion um, as a little kid's seat. The next time you loaded the game after this had come out. You are pulled into the dares of eternity, down down into a black hole and down into this game show um, to play it for the first time. And that kind of unlocked it for you and so on and so on. Now, the mistake they made is uh, it was a level 1150 activity, but whatever flag on their end signifies, hey, if you haven't played this, uh, you know, you get dropped into this was also being overridden for completely new players as well. So someone loading the game for the first time who you now start at that time, you started at 1100 power um, was being rather than getting the uh, I think this is exactly what happened rather than getting the intended new player experience was being kidnapped by a space horse and forced into a game show they couldn't hope to complete. (laughs) Like it's supposed to be a 10 minute activity, but it was taking people in an hour and a half to grind through this thing. They were desperately under leveled for. And then this led to a event where, um, your 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 level in destiny is to, it basically like an average of the uh power level of the equipment you're wearing so if you put on worse gear you can delevel yourself right like if that makes sense hmm. so what people started doing was putting on their worst gear to go into that mode so that they could could get match made because you get match made to people at the same level to get match made with new players at which point they would put their good gear back on and rescue the new players and it turned into this big kind of you know uh community rescue effort which was genuinely heartening and ended up bungee ended up fixing it and then giving everyone who did that a little special in-game emblem as a thank you for <laughs> rescuing, um, <laughs> probably, you know, I mean, I imagine, you know, you think a lot about Dow numbers and sort of uh, churn rates of, of player acquisition, particularly in free to play games. And you've got to imagine that someone was looking at a graph for that month and it's like, why did why wasn't the game very sticky for this whole cohort of new players? <laughs> we had loads of marketing out at the time for this new anniversary update. Why, why did everyone bounce at its once? It's because you um, imprisoned them in unwinnable Mode didn't make any fucking sense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't How does that error get past people though? I, I mean,
1: don't. Keep... I don't that know. It's there's a there's a. I think there's a there's always a slight sense, and I love this game a lot, but there's always a slight sense that you, uh, it's a it's a, a runaway train at times that can't mm. be totally controlled, and occasionally it's just going to do things. There's a gun in Destiny that has broken the game now so many times uh it's it's a rifle called telesto and uh there is a website called days since telesto last broke the game because <laughs> um, it just it it's it's coded in a particular it's a rare weapon that creates these little kind of like bomblets when you fire it and people have discovered everything from being able to farm the bomblets themselves for points and experience to the game crashing entire servers when that gun is fired sideways on a tuesday like it's this you know it's it's there's a lot of heart in this, but also a lot of like, I feel tremendous sympathy for the people like having to debug half of this stuff. But actually a lot of that was the reason, another one of the reasons for all that vaulting um, is a long run up to the new stuff. But basically um, the last expansion before this one, Beyond Light, was originally planned to be Destiny 3. And so what we now see is like the removal of content was really originally supposed to be just the kind of what happened to Destiny 1, like the kind of obsolescence over time of the previous game. And when they decided right. to just keep expanding Destiny 2, it put them in the awkward position of having to kind of half do that, which mm. is actually retains more content than you would otherwise have. But from the community's perspective, looks like having things taken away, right? Yeah. Um, which is just a yeah you know, weird problem to have. Um, and also it meant that they, I think it, it took away the, the pressure they might have felt to have the story progress in a way that could continually bring new players in. what they haven't done where i say that destiny has been great in the last couple years is primarily because they have really found their voice with it and found a way of telling stories through the four seasons that happen in every year um the kind of seasons of new content they're genuinely compelling and they brought on a lot of new writers Uh, because destiny's had so many different styles of storytelling in its life particularly destiny 2 which kind of started life as a kind of huge overcompensation for the severe tone of the original game and kind of went full on sort of in many places like sort of uh, i guess like marvel madcap kind of bant 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 uh bantageddon um mm. in a way that wore extremely thin quite quickly um and then um, it sort of struggled with that for a while. And then they brought in a load of new writers. And, and I think I, I get the impression elevated some of the people who have done some of the great stuff on the original game um, and and on the, the great stuff that did exist in Destiny 2. And they found a much better balance for it and have been much better at draw foregrounding things that were previously buried in lore text, bringing in characters and giving characters meaningful journeys and relationships with each other. And it's been a big success for the game. I think um, it's next to Final Fantasy XIV, the game I see people talk about the most in terms of enjoying that kind of ongoing soap, sci-fi soap opera of a serialized narrative. From um, the
0: inside, it's almost impossible to get a sense of how that stuff works. Like, it just, <laughs> it seems so large, so maximalist. Uh, and so, a lot like Halo is, you know, it's it's kind of chained to the idea of having to reinvent greater scale threats every iteration, Uh I, mm. I just don't. I don't know really what it means once you once you get past a certain level of sort of existentialism. You know, it's, it's just different levels of uh, space dad ghost returning from the grave. Yeah, or indeed, star horses.
1: It's funny because it is that to an extent, but what I, I feel like having also played Halo Infinite recently, I feel like Halo suffers far more for that, mm. where it's like. Um, and I think it's my, 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 my wank answer for this would be that I feel like there is, it's not necessarily, you know, uh, hard sci-fi by any means, but there is an underlying sense of like thematic purpose to a lot of the things that are in destiny, not the horse, but everything else <laughs> um, that um, it's not sort of, it, it there is a meditative quality to it. And and I think, and I think a genuine interest in imbuing, you know, a a lot of things were kind of thrown at the wall in early destiny. And then there was a second pass, which I think is often when a lot of the good stuff happens, where someone went through and kind of found ways to imbue a lot of those um, artifacts, I suppose, with, with a degree of not just meaning in the context of the story or ever greater kind of degrees of existential peril. um, But with, uh, a kind of a meaningful kind of philosophy behind the game. It, it, the, the, it's, I'm stood on the precipice of getting too into it necessarily. But what I found with Halo is Halo didn't have big ideas beyond the large hoop kill everything mm. and would constantly return to that.
0: Uh, would you be able to give like a sort of actual example of something like a narrative thing within the game that you you thought was cool?
1: Well, okay. So the there's a lot of, so the game is called, uh, destiny right and the uh, they'll start first principles um, <laughs> um but one one of the things that it kind of determined over time and this is one of the things coded into its kind of core um backstory now but probably not intended when it started out is its framing of this war between light and darkness which is very sort of fantasy tropey. in destiny that is effectively two perspectives on the potential outcomes of the game of life as in the specific theorem the game of life um, and it kind of posits that um you know the this notion of um uh life beginning uh, i'm going to butcher this slightly but the, the 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 inevitability of kind of survival necessitating that life ultimately take a kind of uh, a final and relatively Uh, lethal shape basically um and the uh the kind of force of good in the game which has been emerging over time and complicated in many different ways is effectively um what does it take for it is is that kind of uh, lethal final shape inevitable or is it possible for a stable altruism to exist in life in the universe basically and can that be ever be these players who kill things for guns all the time <laughs> um, really i mean and the game will make fun of that sometimes like that sort of you you and your kind of kind of player cohort as a, a chaotic element in all of this that hmm. uh, effectively part of a, an experiment not an experiment necessarily but a uh, another roll of the dice by kind of cosmic forces effectively having a debate about what the inevitable nature of life is um and that is what the destiny of the title refers to really oh, right. like what is that final shape of life and and that is um and then you're the story of the game as it's kind of explored by the characters in it is about sort of uh, particularly more recently is about sort of coming to delineate those values from the In this case, the huge orb that otherwise sort of um, monolithically represents one of them. And, you know, kind of. uh, And then there's just a lot of wizards uh, that people want to see kiss. And you combine those two ideas, you got yourself (laughs) a hit. Um, So, yeah, and like, uh, I don't know if that if that makes a a case for it at all.
0: Yeah, you, 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 you sold an idea from within destiny to me <laughs> that does cool. sound cool
1: yeah like i mean i, I will we'll go there but like um it's i think that sort of it doesn't have to have something sophisticated to say all the time necessarily but i feel like i feel like i uh, it really helps the story to um uh re- retain its coherence and to be able to escalate in different ways, along different axes, when there's sort of a tangle of ideas at its center, basically. Uh, right? And I think it has, you know, because I can understand from the outside that perspective of destiny, um, continually needing to find um, bigger space dads to throw at you. It's a space auntie this time, I will say. Um, (laughs) But actually, I feel like that hasn't necessarily been true for the last couple of years where, Yeah. yeah, there are bigger or stranger things to contend with, but really, what's kind of, and this maybe does bring me to the new one, like, um, is it's about contending with, really, the new one is not necessarily about contending with the biggest threat you've ever faced. It's about contending with a um, a rearticulation of the core tenet of the setting that fucks up everything you think you know about it, basically. And so, and then there's still monsters to fight, but um so the 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 premise of the if people i don't want to spoil the campaign i finished it today actually and it's great and i'll talk about some of the reasons why but um i i won't give any spoilers in this because i appreciate it's all very early doors but uh long-term listeners of the podcast will know that i once broke down the i think it was the th- alex and i broke down the three destiny story t- storylines that exist um uh a skeleton knows what you've done and is coming to tell your dad about it oh shit i've left the time machine on and granddad still got it being the three stories, Um, and only the best Destiny expansions or or updates uh, touch on more than one of them. And I think we identified that the best expansion at the time, the one that's most recently been vaulted, Forsaken, was pretty good because it did all three. Um, I'm happy to say that Destiny, the Witch Queen, also does all three. Wow. Thus, uh, subject uh, like uh, objectively putting it on the upper echelons of um, <laughs> of destiny storytelling. Um, a skeleton definitely knows what you've did done. Um, someone has left the time machine on, and also uh, Granddad, he's got it. Wow. Um, yeah, so in the bullseye of that weird fucking Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, it's just a big orb hanging in the sky. That Venn diagram. <laughs> Um. Uh. So, but the reason. So there's. Um. But the specific reason. So the the premise of the new one is. Uh. It, it follows really closely on for the events of the previous season, which has now been kind of retired because it is over. So there's kind of a, a weirdness there, but effectively, um, a kind of uh space which skeleton uh, moth woman, um, has uh rematerialized in our realm. And she, now, she and her followers now have the power of the light, the power of the traveler, the same power players have always had. And this has never happened before. It's never been the case that um, any of the enemy, the enemy factions have always been defined by effectively not having access to the same powers that you do. And now they do. And this means effectively, um, you I mean, effectively gives you a new kind of class of superpowered enemies to fight that you have to destroy their ghosts afterwards or else they respawn. Because they are like you in in every in every way, that um, oh. um, you, you can overhear their patrol chatter, and there's a, some jokes at that expense. That basically they're just having the same experience you are. Um, <laughs> even little cute things like when they use their supers, it shows up in the kill feed, and exactly as it would in PvP. Oh, yeah. Um, just little, neat, neat, yeah. It's cute. It's cute. It's not like you know, Earth but it's cute. It does. It, ultimately, though, it's not much more than like a, a cool new enemy type. Um, but the, the, the campaign itself is about kind of investigating how this could possibly have happened. And to do this, you travel, uh, to, uh, the, the throne world of this particular character, the witch queen, Savathun, um, a throne world being a a now an old destiny concept, but a completely batshit thing from the outside being a kind of like, uh, sort of, uh, Mind like a kind of physic physically actualized mind palace, um that's that can be accessed via spaceship if you know where you're going, um because Destiny's cosmos is sort of layered causal realities with a you know where the willpower of certain beings can just create a horse for example, um. I mean, I should, I should explain the horse is either the servant or the master of all of the planets of the solar system, where the planets of the solar system have a consciousness that is based on the mechanism of each of their, like the interaction of each of their gravitational fields, where Jesus. their, where their intersection creates a sort of vibration that could ultimately become self-aware, basically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um and, and the and natural so shape of that would be a horse, be a horse of yeah, uh, of course, of course, um, Anyway, so you go to this, uh, but the throne world, as it, previously throne was in Destiny, were kind of like wibbly sort of uh, alternate dimensions that you dived into in particular boss fights to uh, kill skeletons. Uh, in this, it's kind of slightly reimagined as effectively Bungie's always kind of spectacular environment art team, just like basically writing a long love letter to From Software. <laughs> effectively um it is it is just a dark soul it's just a beautiful dark souls that they've made so um it's a sort of swampy environment at first um like densely overground alien swamp under a kind of glowering green sky crisscrossed with like almost like um like gossamer or spider silk kind of like nebula it's it's very kind of strange looking lots of strange objects in the sky because it's a bungee game and then at the center of this um uh, a gleaming kind of uh gleaming white and blue marble fortress which represents the kind of the, the fact that these characters now have the light um where made of kind of uh almost like bone like marble or ossified marble that glows internally in this slightly dreamlike way draped in like red and purple flowers and vegetation and it's just beautiful. It's it's like a kind of it's it's somewhere between an Orlando and, um, I'm trying to think of a. I I guess a kind of like an alien Orlando is a way to describe it. Uh, it's really gorgeous, and um, and it kind of and the kinds of you know puzzles and things that they've embedded in it and kind of woven through it are also very dark, Souls-y. There's a huge bell at one point. Oh um, yeah. So well, there you go. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like it's not sort of when I say it's dark saucy, I mean, it really feels like they that's an environment team that knows what they're doing, but it really feels like a kind of a love letter, you know, to that kind of they've Destiny's had big fantasy and gothic elements before, but it's it's a it's a good one. Um, and um, one of the reasons that the campaign is cool actually to kind of continue that thread is it feels it's it's one is probably the most substantial campaign they've done for a while. Um, But also crucially, they made some decisions about the structure of the campaign that I really, really like. And one of them is when you begin it, um, has quite kind of like a kind of dramatic opening. And then you pick a difficulty level, which previously difficulties are things that you sort of level up in order to get access to in Destiny, right? Like the difficulty is just raising the power level of the activity. So you have to go do some grinding or something to get the higher difficulty in order to get the better rewards, to get the higher difficulty, to get the better rewards in this case. Um, you can pick uh, normal or legendary difficulty and even on legendary difficulty there is a your power is locked to a certain level so as long as you've reached that level um, you will be there's no point going higher than it and that means that what you have in those missions is organic difficulty it's difficulty that doesn't arise from your relative power with the things you're fighting it's Mm -hmm. you're locked in a particular place Um, and there are modifiers on it and things like that and it really feels for the first time in a long time with a destiny campaign like playing like a heroic halo campaign or something like that where mm-hmm. your investment in the game is rewarded in terms of having a wider pool of weapons to draw from and that makes quite a big difference but it's not hot basically it's not the problem they previously had that comes from being an rpg where it's this is hard but it's sort of stupid for me to persevere at getting better at the game i might as well just go get better gear right because that will then right. make the game easy um it's hard on its own purpose and uh, beating the game on that difficulty basically lets you skip a huge amount of the kind of level grind that would otherwise follow it they just give you a full set of high level gear at the end just as a kind of you've put the time in so you've done this with skill rather than time which is just a really nice thing and also i think it frees them up to um balance encounters and kind of build an experience around that campaign that's um a bit more traditionally like a single player shooter um the other thing that's cool about it is they have obviously made a proactive effort to bring in a lot of very destiny mechanics but that never traditionally appear in um in the mainline campaigns um so destiny is famous for this but you know, having really strong puzzle elements in its endgame content, like particularly in raids. And then eventually they trickled out from raids to what are called dungeons, which are basically just three-player raids. And then they trickled out from dungeons into uh, what are called exotic quests, which are single-player kind of endgame, you know, uh, kind of fairly high-end hunts for particular pieces of gear. And now some of those mechanics show up in the in the campaign as well. So things like, I mean, it's usually some variant of... Um, Killing a mini boss to get an orb to put it in a place to take down a shield on a boss to kill that boss or pattern matching with symbols that appear on different doorways and you've got to figure out which is the odd one out or um, just these sorts of like layered or, or you know, uh, a, a barrier you can only destroy with a magical sword that you get from killing this guy and he only spawns over here and you have to go grab hit kill him and then take it over here. It sounds fairly basic when I describe it like that, but these things add a lot of they one, they're very true to what playing Destiny at higher levels is like anyway, but also it adds like it makes it more than a like sort of shoot-through room, get to next room, shoot through room experience. Like I find myself having to figure out the encounters and then beat them, even in a single player experience, which is great. I really because it's the best thing about the game and its combat sandboxes. That thing of like, well, how do I damage this boss if they're immune right now? Okay, I'll go and go figure out what the what the rules of this new environment are, and then I'll beat it. Um, hmm. Which, incidentally, I really like as a way of building boss fights as well. And it has some really good ones. And there's loads of them as well. Um, every mission, I think there's like eight or nine missions, and every mission has two or three like boss fight style encounters in it, um, which are all pretty good. I had a really good hmm. time throughout. So... Um and that I think is it's notably better than the last couple of expansions have been in that regard um and yeah, now I've plopped out the other side into the new end game and um very happy with it and very impressed with it, and I think they 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 continue to build out the story in interesting ways as as well
0: have they left themselves with space to to move into from here
1: yeah, very much it's okay. um they they I won't spoil anything they are it's moving towards an end game they've said that already like that there's basically two expansions left after this one All um right. do you know uh, what they're gonna do then no and i wouldn't be surprised if it's a new game or something like that i doubt they're going i got particularly after the sony acquisition i very much doubt that this is going away um mm-hmm. but they have said that the current storyline has an ending um and is and it feels like we're getting there it does feel like we're getting there like you know, there's meaningful changes to the status quo and um, some meaningful reveals about the, uh, whatever the past version of the status quo is. The status quo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, it definitely remains sort of like basically my, my favorite game, I think, because of the way all of its elements work together from the visuals and the world building to, just being a very very good shooter to having very compelling for me at least sort of um thinky pve combat basically hmm. um and this feels like a good combination of like this if what it feels like is a, a creative team that's kind of hit their stride now The the new writing team, the fact that they've done all the tech work they needed to do to give them the freedom to build stuff like this, the fact that they're not having to pull the expansion together as a pandemic shuts the office down, which thwarted the last one somewhat. Right. Um, You know, it's got, it's a very positive sort of, it's very confident like reassertion of the things that are good about that game, which is a big thing for me to say when I'm also saying, but I don't know what someone who is brand new to it would make of it. Well,
0: that was going to... Be, yeah, I'm interested in that. I mean, now that they've uh, pushed through the Space Horse game show Boo Boo. Yeah. Uh, what, what awaits new players? I mean, the Dark Souls thing with with a you know, sort of a capped, inbuilt level of difficulty sounds very tempting to me. Mm. Um, but then uh, I think I was tempted to play it in October of 2019 by similar claims, and it didn't make any fucking sense to me then. <laughs> so I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think... So the new one... They do work hard to... One thing I think is good about the campaign is it has some surprises in it, but it also kind of works hard to be like... Um, to explain things that have happened. And it will sound completely mad. It's very rewarding if you've been there from the start, which is great, obviously. Mm. But, you know, there's a sort of this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Then, and also to kind of actualize things from the backstory, I have no idea how much weight any of it would carry coming into it. The other thing is I am not sure... I'd be really interested, but so Pip um, has been playing it and she isn't a kind of active Destiny player anymore. She was for a long time. Um, But she hit a bit of a wall with the harder difficulty stuff because it's sort of, it's not necessarily tuned for people who want like, well, I think it could be tuned for people who want a really hard game, but it's also sort of there to answer the problem that used to exist with Destiny campaigns where if you, where like if you're the kind of player who is grinding out end game stuff the night before the expansion came out the new campaign would just crumble before you right you would breeze through it and yeah. it would you know it would be kind of meaning trivially easy because you had all the best stuff in the game and so that harder difficulty is also partly a practical thing to give a mode that lets big nerds like me chew on something for a bit and actually have right. time with it and so I don't know what it would be like for a new player coming in with a much more limited, like they even say this in the description of the mode, it's like it's kind of intended for experienced players who benefit from having like a big selection of guns to match to the various problems they face. Ah, uh, I see. Um, but yeah, like the other side of it is I think your, your kind of experience would be the new player loop, the new players of intro sequence being introduced to a bunch of the um, extra stuff and then being sort of thrown into this new campaign and I feel like my suspicion is it would still feel like quite a disconnected experience but if the underlying kind of systems and stuff got their hooks into you then it's a way to be connected to what's going in the ga- on in the game right now because alongside this the new season also started which is interconnected with the story and much better integrated than it previously was um, but is its own completely separate raft of new content that sits on the side of that and that will go away at next year. So, yeah.
0: Interesting. How big is it? Can I can I be bothered to re-download it? That's the question. Oh, it must be. Let's see.
1: Let's find out.
0: It's 80.6 gigabytes, apparently, which is not, that's too, not bad. too bad. No, it's too no. bad.
1: That's, that's the benefit of removing big chunks of the game every now and then. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I appreciate it. I've, I've done my 30 minute destiny ramble now, which I'm, I'm going to get to do every now and then, but yeah, like, um, I feel like this, So obviously I enjoy it as a fan. And I also think that it's, um, a very, uh, yeah, it's a creative effort with, um, I was going to say, maybe this, maybe this is too arch. It feels like a very authentic creative effort at the moment like it's got a writer's room that really cares. And I, I think, I, I, mean, I actually, I don't really like that phrasing think having just said it, because I, I don't want to imply that, you know, games don't have that, but it feels like the, the output of a kind of empowered creative team with a bit of a budget able to tell a grand old sort of shaggy dog story about a ball basically <laughs> and a horse. Um, and I like that myself personally it's the kind of thing I'm into a ball and the horse that loved him indeed or well, did he oh I see <laughs> who's the horse twist. serve yeah exactly horses the horse I think bows to no master <laughs> there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good so if you play destiny with the uh, subtitles on um, whoever wrote the dialogue for that mode had a lot of fun with the horse um because it has a lot of noises but it only whinnies like it whinnies like a horse it makes horse noises but these horse noises were all made by i think d bradley baker the voice actor does a lot of creature noises um and they all they're all written in the script as things like imperial whinny or (laughs) (laughs) non-euclidean bray or like (laughs) or like serendipitous wicker and the actor who did it did his best. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I think is uh, real art. That
0: well, is excellent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, um, I feel like I could go on. And God knows I probably could, but I shan't. What have you been playing, Marge? Uh
0: I've been playing uh, just a demo, actually, um, for a game called Abris. A-B-R-I-S-S. I don't know if that has a meaning in another language. It's just a word to me. Uh, but it's a game about exploding cyber brutalist architecture, basically. It's it's basically boom blocks. Did you ever play boom blocks? Steven
1: Spielberg's boom blocks.
0: Indeed, yeah. What a weird fucking combination of people worked on that. But yeah, that was that was like a, a physics puzzler for, for the Wii, uh, where you had to dismantle these tottering towers of blocks by lobbing like the minimum number of objects at them with your you know your your willy waggle sticks mm-hmm. um, reverse Jenga, if you will um and the, I like it was quite I, I thought it was a great game boot block so there are loads of kind of interesting complications to that they really managed to kind of squeeze a lot of actual puzzle variety from what is just you know quite a, a crude, sort of physics idea like knocking over certain blocks, you know deducted from your score instead so you'd have to try and bring everything else down around them apart from those which was a quite a cool challenge or they were like explosive blocks that set off chain reactions you know it was it was fucking awesome and um abris is sort of similar in premise uh but like just about as far apart in style as I think these two games could be without one of them being you know wildly pornographic or something and so instead of <laughs> you, instead of like, like having day glow duplo bricks with smiling faces on them as per boom blocks the the structures you're trying to bring down are just these horrible colossal intricate techno monoliths that are just just encrusted with gantries and pipes and strut work and these bald concrete slabs rising out of green mist it's just i it's it's just awesome to look at these raw industrial behemoths covered in greebles just absolutely greebled to the max no humans just greebles and um yeah it's i mean it's just amazing to look at these hellish tech future landscape swarming with drones and you've just got a fuck up these buildings for no, no obvious reason uh which is cool um and so each level is sort of like you have this uh, structure to take down and you have a number of construction elements that you can pick from uh, and a restricted build space on which to build some sort of physics weapon basically like a, a crude ballista or just a, a massive crane arm uh, just a sort of pinwheel into the thing. you get other other kind of fun stuff like jet propulsion and lasers and things. It's not it's actually quite similar to besiege uh, mm, in that's some what ways, I was thinking about except except besiege uh, where you build catapults and blisters and uh, uh, that's much more of a vehicle simulation uh, whereas here all the constructions you, at least all the constructions I made so far need to be built up uh, from a static platform. Uh, and the positioning of those platforms is part of the sort of the the puzzle challenge of it. Um, so, for like for example, on one level, you have to take down these three uh, structures that are set up sort of like dominoes. There's you know in a line behind each other, and there's this huge gulf between your platform and them. So, I built up this sort of intentionally unstable tower of columns with a a loose girder on the top to which I'd welded like a, this sort of super heavy block and a and a jet engine, so that when I Hit play on the level. The entire thing was sort of like topple forward very slowly, and then at the right moment, I could activate the jet, and the good will be launched off to sort of you know cartwheel uh, into the first domino, where it like hit an explosive core, and then blow out through the back of it uh, and into the others, and it just looks spectacular. Like the granularity of the destruction is extremely gratifying. Um, and there's there's not a huge amount in the demo. Uh, I, I wait to see if it reaches like boom blocks or besiege levels of complexity. But if you have, you know, 10 minutes and just want to wreck some shit, then um, I absolutely recommend checking it out.
1: Where is it? Evate uh, is it on? It's on the Steam. Steam. Imagine.
0: Indeed. I think it might also be on itch as well. But mm. um, yeah, it's a demo. It's free. You can play it.
1: I might. Or we might not. We'll see you <laughs> in a couple of hours. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. I had genuinely forgotten. I'm just going to check. When does it unlock? Elden Ring, that is. It says uh, coming February the twenty fourth. <laughs> That's now.
0: I think it's in two hours for me currently. Two hours and nine minutes. <sighs>
1: There's um, Elden Ring currently has uh absolutely fascinating screenshot choice on its main news page um there's a uh, a news item uh the most recent news item after the uh, launch live stream event announcement where the news title is simply the shattering tainted these lands with chaos I'm sure I'm sure it did and uh the the news itself is the shattering tainted these lands with chaos even a traveller who follows the path of grace must be cunning and cautious in equal measure. But the picture accompanying this is just a knight squatting in a bush, sneaking up on, like, I think, like a pantless goblin from behind. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the writing above it, which is so grandly
0: uh, written, yeah. with, like, a little bit of filigree around it. And it just says, crouching. Crouching. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's
0: uh, a, your back of the box claim, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Crouching. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and also, I mean, I appreciate we're just, uh, this is like maybe not the best use of an audio medium. Like two men laugh at a picture on the internet, but. <laughs> um uh the uh the emphasis created by making certain words in the sentence below gold is also tickling me um uh crouch to make it harder for enemies to discover you i feel like i know about crouching now Which is the point. uh, uh
0: there's,
1: um, i believe there's, an,
0: there's another um well, near irrelevance that we wish to talk about today right
1: well, we could do, yeah. I, I mean, Or I could keep exploring the Elden Ring store page, which is the most you're <laughs> going to get into. Because, I mean, you know, we've we got a, probably like a lock-in next week. Cause this is the most Elden Ring we're going to be able to share. Uh, oh, it locks in two hours. Mm. Okay, well, that's fine then. I am very excited. I tell you what, let's just stay on this momentarily. What? What? Because I'm genuinely curious to know, what excites you about Elden Ring?
0: I, well, I've largely ignored all of the news around it, so my excitement is is merely the prospect of another game by that studio, really.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I know almost nothing. Um, the one thing I do know is that my graphics card is below the minimum spec, which Uh-oh. is which is depressing. But early reports suggest I should still be able to play it, uh, and it shouldn't matter that much. Um, uh, I don't know. I I tell you what, this is this is an odd thing, because it's, it's relevant to the, the the game we could talk about, which spoilers is Total Warhammer Three, um, uh, which looks absolute dog turd for me. Uh, really? Yeah, it's awful looking, and I, I I I do have so my graphics card is six years old, um, and I haven't been able to buy one uh, for this, at least not for the sorts of you know. Money that's being asked for new graphics cards. Uh, And so, you know, it's it's to be expected that new games won't look or run super, super good. But this, like, this tech, I don't know if this is just like my imagination, perhaps you can confirm, but I feel like this tech cycle feels very different from previous ones. In that, in the past, you know, I have also in the past been at this sort of like tech, tech pauper level of the tech cycle. Mm. And then when you get a new graphics card, you're basically able to play entirely new kinds of games that didn't exist before like no, yeah, that was how things used to work and you're like oh suddenly i can play open world games you, you know the genre that dark souls invented um, and this, um
1: <laughs>
0: this generation though i feel like the, the gains are not only quite negligible but the optimizations for old hardware are so much poorer that I I'm I feel like I'd be paying thousands of you know bucks for a new graphics card just so that Total Warhammer 3 can look as good as Total Warhammer 1 already does on my aging 1050ti like mm. I I don't know if I'm explaining this well but I I know it's simplistic and naive to expect that a game I play today on my underspec graphics card will look as good or as bad as a game I played on the same card when it was cutting edge but I don't think they should look wildly wildly worse no. like I, total warhammer 3 looks worse than uh empire total war did in 2007 oh wow and that's that's weird because <laughs> my card is newer than
1: that this suggests that something's broken to me because i found i found some weirdness with it it runs and looks fine to me but i i have had it a little bit unstable like i wonder if it's downscaling something or is it is it mm. also running like does it look bad or is it run badly or both
0: uh, it, it runs okay, uh, but it, nearly everything is is turned off uh, mm. in a way. I I'd have to uncheck like um, memory caps uh, in order to get any features running. Basically, it just right. it automatically says, "Oh, for this graphics card, we'll turn lighting off." Basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> so yeah, but uh, yes, I, I fear this will be also the case um, with Elden Ring. A game which doesn't look like I mean I mean it looks pretty, but it doesn't a lot of that seems to be uh art choice rather
1: than yeah. graphics womp. There's only so much womp you can put in a bog. Indeed. <laughs> and all games are set in bogs now. it's been decreed it's, it's February twenty twenty two. Age of the bog game. Pretty much. I'm happy to stay there. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought you would be. Um, yeah, so I mean, I just, on the on that point. Like, I think I agree. Like, I got my fancy new PC almost a year ago, actually, but it's still, you know, not not daunted by anything that's coming out, which I'm grateful for. Um, having, uh, you know, basically paid through the nose to extract a, a good graphics card from from the you know the jaws of bot buyers and so on. Um, but the only game. VR VR performance has been meaningful, but that's about you know those games don't look incredible. It's just they don't make me vomit now. Um, the the other side the, the the only game I can think of that was really a showcase for what it meant to have a more powerful machine in the way that it used to be was Cyberpunk, like and that's you know right almost like a almost like the other side of its own issues right that like being able to <laughs> play that game without very many issues with everything cranked up to max was a treat, but also an expensive treat in this particular case. Um, I haven't downloaded the 50 gig patch that game has received yet, um, but uh, I might. Um, I was, they, uh, I we can talk about Warhammer momentarily, but I was completely, <laughs> having finished Cyberpunk uh, before Christmas, I was completely comfortable with not necessarily coming back for this update, because I like the game. I've made you know, I've said my piece about it in that regard. Um, because what it you know the the obviously the quality of life pass doesn't mean a huge amount to me uh, having finished the game, um, and then a lot of the kind of like the the features like oh, they've rebalanced all of the skills and abilities that's kind of interesting. It's also kind of not why I played the game. They've added the ability to buy apartments. Uh, I could probably load a save and look at them and have the full experience of that without really needing to reinvest much time in it. Um, they've had the ability to give yourself buffs by having a shower in your apartment jokes on you CD Uh Projekt Red I was already having a shower for roleplay reasons (laughs) (laughs) and pretending it helped so the fact that they're backing me up with like a 20% buff to health regen kickstart time or something fine Um, but then they said that they've added like several more text messages that your loved ones can send you so now I have to replay the entire game but I won't (laughs) (laughs) Um but yeah, so I think we both played Total War Warhammer three, haven't we?
0: We did, yes. I've played about three hours of the uh
1: campaign that it comes with. The the, the kind of uh new player tutorial campaign thingy. Yes. Yeah, uh, I have played that and about the first eighty turns of the new Demon Prince campaign. Um so we'll speak to that. I'm very really curious to see how you have found it. I can speak to my own Warham perspectives, but yeah.
0: Well, I don't, I don't entirely know what to make of it yet. So I, I, um, I played. A, I have a, a, a slightly kind of on-off relationship with the Total War series in that I played uh, a lot of the early Total Wars, uh, Medieval and Rome, um, and at the time they were just such, you know, technically impressive feats to be able to field and control that many individual units in 3D. That that alone was the reason to play those games as strategy games. I'm a bit more leery of them. I don't know that I've ever really jibed with what those games want from me as a commander, in mm. order to like effectively manipulate this way of battle. I don't feel they f- they don't feel like the sorts of micro heavy RTS games like StarCraft that I normally avoid. Uh, but they also, I don't they they seem to fall between. Uh, two stools I, I i don't really understand it but like uh, periodically i've I, I, I dipped back into the series and it's obviously expanded in scope and there's all this higher level strategy conquest stuff now and diplomacy and so forth but it's sort of like the the meat and potatoes of it is still these battles which whilst they get kind of more graphically complex still kind of feel like just clusterfucks <laughs> to me every <laughs> single time and i know you know like, i i remember excitedly trying out uh empire total war in preview having just come out of like a chat with the developers where they'd they'd really enthusiastically described how they modeled the loss of cannonball velocity based on the quality of the mud it bounces off. And I was I was so psyched because I was like, <laughs> yes, I love simulated mud. And then <laughs> <laughs> and then, then, you know, like I tried to maneuver a column of horses through a gate and they just all plow into each other and five of the horses just like spinning on the spot and then some of the horses path around the wall and then come back in from the other side for some reason. And it's just like, mm, yeah, no. And I I, and I don't mind mm. that it's hard to control because like, you know, war is hard to control, Chris. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you tried to get a horse to go through a wide door. <laughs>
0: I just, you know, I'm playing this one. I just, uh, I actually quit out because I just wanted some troops to go up a hill and down the other side and engage an enemy unit. But because the enemy unit moved like 20 meters to the right, my units decided to just plow into a copse of trees and then into each other, and then they just stopped. And like, I'm sure I could have microed my way out of that situation, but like, it it feels to, it feels to me like the the game should either do a better job of interpreting vague commands that you give or it could give you more articulate commands to issue and it doesn't seem to do either <laughs> but um, yeah you know i i what one other one other thing i mean i have i have been kind of enjoying it but like uh, just one other thing that dif- differentiates this from uh, the total wars which i'm more familiar with which are based in you know some form of reality is that i, I don't have any instinctive idea for how a bunch of cassars are gonna fare against like psychic chicken men um but I imagine you, as a Warhammer man, do.
1: I guess. But here's the thing: <laughs> like, um, I, I, sorry, I've been playing it um a, a fair bit, and I do like all of these games. I have played and finished all of the Total Warhammer main campaigns, and then after that, had like a bunch of you know the classic kind of first fifty to hundred turns before wandering off and trying something else. Um, but I. Uh, I do agree with you that like there's something about the battle game that always feels sort of like not quite there for me, but also crucially, what I would say is um, I think this is, a, it's a really evocative and we can speak to some of the very evocative and now very full featured kind of evocation of old Warhammer fantasy battle now. But crucially, I think it doesn't, the battles don't feel like Warhammer um, and they don't bear a huge resemblance to the the flow of a tabletop game, and I don't think that's the goal. Honestly, I'm I, obviously that it's a bit apples and oranges because you're comparing a turn-based miniatures game to a real-time strategy game. Um, but my ability to gauge the, you know, one thing I have, I, I have a lot of fun. Um, so my a lot of my favorite stuff in Warhammer tradition has always been the chaos stuff. This is the game that really finally kind of like breaks open the huge bag of weirdos and spills them all over the board. Um, in terms of the you know the, the the various demons of chaos are far better represented here than they have been previously, um, and I have a sort of a sense of what they each do based on my understanding of the setting um, from the tabletop game, but it doesn't map like quite quite all that. In fact, actually, some of my favorite moments playing it so far have been moments where it has briefly kind of felt like oh that would work in regular Warhammer. But particularly when it comes to things like what the spells do what the heroes do, it feels very sort of very, very different. And I think mm. um you know, mostly the, the broad things are roughly the same. Slash so nice stuff is fast, Nurgle stuff is tough, Zeech stuff is weird, corn stuff is uh, choppy choppy hits you with something. Um But there's um and so we can sort of line things up in roughly that way. But broadly like that sort of knowledge of the setting isn't the thing that kind of is getting me through battles. What's getting me through battles is, and this is the thing that makes me most uncomfortable about Total War, is awareness of basically how to play the game to force the enemy to quit <laughs> effectively. There's a concept in tabletop war gaming called a negative player experience or an NPE. And it's a subject of much very boring debate, basically, about hmm. you know if you play very competitively and therefore you make the game less fun for your opponent, um, is that. Is that cool I and mean, this exists in most competitive tabletop contexts to be honest, but is that like is that an edgy big boy using every tool at their disposal to win the day? Or is it being a dickhead? Mm. Um and I feel like the one thing that I would say for its connection to the tabletop game is the optimal way to play Total War against the AI is to create a miserable experience for them that doesn't always a hundred percent you know follow the logic of the flow of a battle but absolutely res- revolves around exploiting um pathing weirdnesses and stuff and i find myself now having played a lot of these games sort of instinctively doing it and i have a fair, fair old, fairly good time doing it um but i found particularly as as the warhammer games have come become less kind of attached to reality well actually i have a mixed i have a mixed relationship with this the, the fact that they're less and less attached to reality, particularly now that I'm playing a campaign about demons, means that I feel like it's almost less immersion breaking for me to command my troops to do something really fucking strange, <laughs> <laughs> um, while at the same time feeling increasingly slightly detached from the kind of consequences of my actions. So the example, the example I will give you, uh, the uh, in my campaign, the um, a, a, a Kislevite army. Um, sort of servant of the ice queen was roaming in my territory in a way that I had to deal with it, but I didn't want to deal with it with my main army. So I sent a slightly uh, understrength host of Soneshi demons to deal with it. And the battle took place across a huge frozen lake with an island in the middle. Um, and uh, I am the aggressor in this particular uh, battle. So I am I, it's on me to attack um, if, I, if, you know, if I don't engage then I can't, uh, then I will lose on time basically. But also I'm slightly outnumbered and I don't want this to be the case. So I line up all of my melee stuff on the far shore, basically with their backs directly to the edge of the board, as far away from the enemy army as possible. And I have some special abilities that allow me to Vanguard deploy basically anything I want. So I Vanguard deploy a bunch of furies, these little flappy bird demons, a one flank and some seekers, uh, which is sort of demonettes riding wibble-tongued snoot beasts on the <laughs> other flank, um, and um, incidentally, that's—I mean—something I find very compelling about seeing Warhammer brought to life, particularly the kind of weirder units. Uh, but in my mind's eye, those uh, seekers on their wibbly bipedal snoot beasts have always gone as they've run along because it looks like that's what they're (laughs) doing and they don't do that in the game so that's obviously that's a shame Um, um but then what i did was um start the battle keep all of my my people at the back line um run both of my flanking units forward and then around the front of the both sides of the enemy army and then back again and what this caused is those flanks to charge and then just kind of keep going and it's the old, I mean, in some ways, it's just the Battle of Hastings play always works in Total War, <laughs> where it's like, chase me, chase me. And then they're like, oh, I guess we're fucking, we're fucking going. And occasionally the enemy will like stop and think about it for a minute, but it feels like you've tipped them over some threshold into, I guess, we're charging. And, um, and so that meant a lot of sweaty Kislevites running all the way across this big frozen lake, getting knackered by the time they got to me, but also breaking up their formation enough to allow me to like pull the odd unit aside using AI stuff. And then crucially, their leader, their general in this case, was a, a wizard on foot. And she was running around behind the army. And so I just waited until like a critical distance existed between her and the rest of the army. Charged my army forward to lock the rest of her army in place and brought those same flanking units in from both sides to enclose the wizard, at which point she's locked in a kind of death fight. She can't really win. She'll kill a bunch of them. And then it becomes a big grind fest. And there's not a lot for me to do at that point, except to watch for units that have inexplicably disengaged from combat and are just standing there or whatever, that kind of weird mm. stuff. Literally looking for the ZZZ's snooze icon on each of the tap things just to make sure that people get redirected. But otherwise, at that point, I can kind of put the battle in fast forward and just wait for it to resolve because I've kind of orchestrated a bit of a like a trap. And there's fun in that. There is but I find myself not responding, not feeling like I have to respond to changing circumstances in ways that feel like I'm directing the ebb and flow of a real battle. It right. feels like I'm playing a game, frankly, uh, against the computer where I'll probably win. Now I'm playing on normal mode for this. And I think I think it is fair, like, because I could feel the counter argument coming that like, well, you're you up the difficulty if you're finding it too easy. Um, But for me, if the fantasy isn't kind of being closely aligned with like successful play on your normal difficulty, then it, I think it does speak to a different issue, right? Like an issue with sort of what the game rewards, no matter what it simulates, what kind of behaviors actually result in success. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I find myself auto-resolving battles more often than I'd expect. Mm. Um, because
0: I mean, it's it's just, it's quite an exhausting sequence of battles that the at least the tutorial puts you through. Yeah. Um, I feel like the, the strategy game, at least in the tutorial, isn't growing quite uh, as quickly as as the uh, uh, as it should in order to sort of give you something more substantial to do in between those battles. I do wonder if I, I, I kind of think I'd like a game like Total War, which essentially strips you of nearly all control during the RTS moment of it, and instead you spend a lot of time sort of planning the battle abstractly uh, and providing sort of like if then else logic to your commanders. And then when it comes to the actual battle itself, all you can get to do is like honk a horn and, uh, you know, two honks means
1: something. <laughs> yeah. Three honks means something else. Uh, yeah, basically football <laughs> manager.
0: Is that what it is? Okay.
1: Basically football manager. Yeah. Just like kiss <laughs> the game plan. And yeah, I kind of agree. Like, I think it's interesting because I, I, I do like, I'm enjoying the game. I enjoy all of these games and I'll get to some of the reasons why. Um, but I'll have one more moan before before we move on to some of those qualities. One is, but it's basically that I think, so they, the, the Warhammer stuff gives them an opportunity to bring in heroes and monsters and kind of different kind of paradigms of power. And I think they did these quite well in Three Kingdoms as well, actually. But I do find that they're missing something in terms of a sense of impact, because really, like the the heart of Total War is not like, you know, Starcraft style micro where you're units are doing imminent kind of very lethal damage to individual enemy pieces it's more about setting up scenarios where your fight you will win fights eventually you know kind of like and then setting those fights going almost like setting a whole bunch of different kind of plates spinning across the battlefield and just needing to check in on them to make sure they're still spinning in the way that you want and I think heroes interface with this sort of slightly awkwardly still to me because they add this extra layer of micro in terms of the use of spells and other abilities. And there's something else you can do with that. But I think because the game is so much about kind of like real-time attritional warfare, there's a reluctance to have those, the presence of those characters um, really heavily swing a um an encounter or, or kind of you know end an encounter quickly which in some ways i would prefer like the the kind of the the feeling and it because it really is a feel thing like i would rather have abilities on longer cooldowns that were basically just like smart bombs it's like you know my demon prince has swept in and used his big axe sweep and that unit you know footmen are basically fucked and i can just move on to the next thing so i'm making another decision straight away what happens is i send him in and i use the swing ability and uh, it goes bong and then he goes huh and then I see like a red bar move like eight pixels and <laughs> some men fall over and 30 seconds from now that unit might wrap but it doesn't have quite that feedback loop of sort of like okay I've used my special ability here time to kind of rethink how I want to I want to use him in the meantime um and I think yeah there's a sort of yeah, an awkward middle ground. I mean, this is the thing. Like the spe- I have gone back and forth this for over the years because, as I say, it's a series I've paid a lot. Um, I find that the spectacle of it and the sense of, you know, um, the, the sense of mastery can make you feel when you really do orchestrate a cool trap for people or kind of, you know, survive against the odds. Particularly, I think I think winning against the odds is the best feeling of Total War because um, it makes that kind of you know, use of the mechanics to kind of eke out a victory feels sort of virtuous rather than just like you're bullying a computer. <laughs> um, um, I do find it compelling. Like, I feel like I feel like kind of, I laid into it quite hard kind of off the bat. But like, I think that's partly because I like the setting enough and I like the flow of it enough and I find it very kind of moorish, but I can never quite shake the feeling that the underlying sort of battle system is quite superficial. And I wonder what the game would be like if they were if it was tighter, basically, mm. either, as you say, more about kind of spectating, more about that kind of setup thing or, um, you know, more about kind of complex in the in the moment decision making. However, I think for it to go in that direction, it would make more sense as a turn based game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. It does have the pause thing. I mean, I I, I I think that that would give you ample space to to issue a string of commands and see them executed over time. But I, yeah, that's, I, I, yes, as, as kind of critical of it as I am, I mean, I think the thing that is, uh, was winsome about medieval and Rome and is, is still winsome about Total Warhammer is just that it's, it's, it's such a kind of incredibly excessive evocation of that fantasy. Mm. No, it, in, in a way, it doesn't really need to pretend to be a decent strategy game when it's just, you know, it's it's fielding that many units and they're all hitting each other at the same time. That's, that's just exciting. Although, you know, you don't, I mean, I don't find uh, myself, except in the kind of in, in, attritional end game of a battle, I don't often find myself being able to really look at units, which is weird because that is probably the primary pleasure that I would take in actual Warhammer, you know,
1: Mm, those yeah. those
0: <laughs> being able to manipulate and, and uh, admire the actual individual models themselves and enjoy the fantasy of them is what part you know like 90 percent of what makes that so exciting
1: mm. um, whereas
0: uh yeah they're just very small for most of the time
1: in this yeah yeah um i do i do i think i think the spectacle of it can be great I, I like a lot of the new environments i think it's evocation of the realm of chaos is really fun because you, you fight in some mad places now mm. um particularly in the main campaign um and yeah like because the i think it's interesting because i think the the battle game has become more and more about um a big sun a big kind of toy box full of pieces that do things and are fun and interesting and strategic, but also about that spectacle and about the kind of effectively the fun of just smashing your overpowered army into a into an enemy and, and coming out on top. The campaign game feels more like a board game than it ever has to me. Um I think I, I always think that Total War campaigns have more board game to them than sim in some ways. Mm. Um but particularly now, but actually, I think that that is to its credit, and I think it 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 works pretty well. You haven't you haven't kind of graduated to the new kind of main campaign stuff, have you?
0: No, I haven't. I'm I'm intrigued by it because uh, it seems like they've uh, they've addressed a lot of the issues that people had in the in the campaign level uh, mm. game of the previous one.
1: Yeah, I think it's really good. Like, and I think the strength of the Warhammer setting is that the factions are so different to each other now, right? So even me talking about my experiences with the Demon Prince campaign it's going to be very different to the experience that you might have playing one of the other new factions or going back and playing one of the old factions or whatever. I don't think you can do that yet in three, but you presumably will be able to eventually. Um, um, Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. The basic conceit now is that um, um, something bad has happened to a faraway big bear and you must save him or murder him. Um, And in order to do this, you need to unlock a particular part of the realm of chaos in order to do that. You have to kind of, every every so often, every set, certain number of turns, um, the 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 bear will roar, shaking the balls of reality, and portals will open across the map. And when you interact with one of these portals, you can either go through it, or you can, well, you can do one of three things. You can go through it to the realm of chaos, you can go through it to somewhere else in the world, or you can close it, which you might do for strategic reasons. Um if you go through it to the realm of chaos, then you go to one of the four domains of the chaos gods. So Zinch, uh, Nurgle, Slanesh, or Korn. And once there, you've got to kind of like complete a challenge to give yourself, uh, a, a, racing against the other factions, complete a challenge to have a chance to fight that God's particular army, and in doing so claim a demon prince's soul from that particular faction. And the first faction on the map to get all four demons' souls—oh god, we went there again—wins, um, <laughs> basically, or wins a shot at finishing the game, which feels very board. That's what feels very board gamey to me, like that sort of and being able to see what how your rivals yeah. are doing. Um, being able to see their progress while you're in the realm of chaos as well um and while you're in the realm of chaos there's very little sort of recuperating your army so you've kind of got to build you've got to kind of time it so that you've got a good army ready to go when the portals open get in there and get, get moving quickly and so it kind of rewards good kind of well-managed sort of forward-thinking campaign play but in a way that isn't just get bigger and fatter until you can launch yourself at the end game and brute force it because you have to wait for that opportunity to win which is a really cool um way of structuring it i think it works really really well um and otherwise like just feels like a lot of sort of um there's a lot of fun kind of uh um strategic stuff you can do around kind of like Forcing portals closed for your opponents with agents sneaking into their territory and closing all their portals so they can't do anything about it or um, like or the need to kind of have a home defense army while your main army is away and, and and all of those things that kind of create interesting wrinkles. I don't think I've had any kind of like really standout great campaign experiences so far, but um, the Demon Prince campaign is really unusual in that it lets you mix and match all of the chaos demon factions. And. Um, and in doing so, kind of slowly build your demon towards his allegiance to so either one of the chaos gods or none of them. Mm-hmm. And um I'm going for none of them because I am a special boy and I want him to be a special boy too. Um but so hang on, is, yeah. is
0: Chaos Reborn, is that uh, like uh mix and match? Is is that what the that faction is now?
1: It's called it's the it, Chaos undivided is the typical I, I'm phrase. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Is yeah. is the phrase for like, yeah, chaos just sort of um in ag- all four gods intention with each other basically um but you can your demon prince is really highly customizable like it's the first kind of fully customizable character i think in a total war game where you can equip new heads and wings and horns and arms and legs and stuff as they shift yeah. from one god to the other getting different blessings can you add a snoot? uh i haven't unlocked it but you better believe it's getting bolted right on there Um, But I was going for like undivided and one of the early things you can get on the undivided kind of skill track is like the respect of the Northern clans because it's the the Norskans of the realm of chaos, like the kind of chaos marauders. And I could just, I very early on just dumped three skill points into this thing that's basically just Vikings think you're cool. And because of this, it created this sort of diplomacy cascade, which is a kind of weird thing to happen to a demon prince of chaos. But where every single turn another uh you know warlord of the Bjornlings or the Scalings or the the others would come to me and slowly escalate their friendship of me because I'd sort of triggered some kind of endlessly escalating respect cycle. And so now I'm best friends with every Viking everywhere. And over time I could just like I've steadily become so impressive to them that without sort of having to deal a single blow, I'm just sort of bolting them to the sides of my empire as vassal states now which is uh is a very fun outcome it's not what i expected from a demon campaign really that like you become you're the biggest coolest viking and therefore everyone wants to be your best mate <laughs> that was that was very enjoyable am
0: i right in thinking that you could use outposts <clears throat> to essentially add uh unit types of completely yeah. different factions to your army
1: yeah if they are your ally yeah you can
0: do Uh, that right yes that uh that was uh, like a a bullet point but i didn't quite understand how that
1: works yeah so you become allies and then those units you're limited in the amount you can have and they also don't rather than costing regular resources they cost literally something like ally points which you get by doing things for that ally right so if that ally you can check that ally might have a mission for you like kill this particular army and then you do that and you get some points that you can spend on units from that a limited section of units from that faction, um, which is why um, my first expedition to the realm of chaos was an army comprised of like a couple of hundred bloodletters of corn, some pink horrors of zinch, a bunch of slaneshi cavalry, and one unit of about 30 regular men <laughs> 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 who died. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I brought them. The bloodletters
0: uh, are the um, sort of like, Typical demon-looking dudes, we, right, we, with big swords. Wee little Diablos. Wee little Diablos. You see, I, I thought they were meant to be hardcore murder beasts, but then one of the like the first mission in the tutorial campaign has you just kind of launch some peasants with sticks at them and you absolutely muller them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be that guy, but that probably shouldn't work. <laughs> they are supposed <laughs> to be like, you know, head-taking demons from the hell dimension, so yeah i think it's because they haven't really ever they have they, they don't really demons are a tricky thing to get right in warhammer i think at the best of times um and the tabletop game can struggle with this a little bit as well i think the thing that surprises me but maybe it's just evident of the way that they don't really kind of um think about well the, their goal is to create a total war game not a warhammer game is that like there isn't very much um do with summoning which is surprising to me because that's like the biggest association with demons in the setting right like the the notion of a blood letter is if there's a battle that is you know grueling horrible battle between mortals then demons might rise up from the spilled blood and you know pick up the swords of the fallen and continue fighting right like because they are expressions of the kind of animus or the animosity that was previously there in this they're just little red men and you buy them from a big house (laughs) um (laughs) the same as anyone else there's some weird (laughs) there's some like um there's some very kind of quite edgy writing for the demon prince as well i have found like they've i i uh the the tabletop game particularly just of Sigmar as as the setting has developed is kind of i think maybe steered a little bit further away from like for example pointedly the sort of um sort of uh the equiv the equivalence of sex with depravity with slanesh right and moved slanesh towards excess in in general a sense about excessive pride or gluttony like Mm -hmm. those sorts of things um whereas uh this is just 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 little the little sex monsters um there's a there's an event that occasionally happens because you can kind of suddenly gain the favor of the gods in different things there's an event that heavily suggests that you 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 uh what spend one night sleeping with every single demon in your army, which I just wasn't expecting from to, Total War. To be honest, it's nothing like kind of, yeah, it's nothing like uh, it's more gross or untoward about the way that's written beyond that, because it's something like you know the fervor of Sanesh settles upon your forces, and you do not rest until every demon has enjoyed your embrace. And I'm like, I'm a busy guy. I've got like eight hundred bud letters. <laughs> <laughs> right. unless it's like um, you know like when uh, people are like running down into like a, like a sports arena like high-fiving everyone on the way um, <laughs> unless it's that <laughs> I don't know I just I, I had no broader point to make there and I feel like I've, I've dug a hole for myself but <laughs> I did it did strike I, I took a screenshot of it it was strikingly it was strikingly weird also one final thing Uh, the game did create it has some spectacular um auto-generated names now i don't know what they did um um but they i think they took their like you know random kind of um uh, holy roman empire man with a mustache generator and just inserted a lot of bollocks into it um (laughs) It's it's definitely been given a shot of something to kind of make it go a little little wonkier than it used to. Um, my favourite so far was the commander of a uh, I think a Nordlander army roaming my territory, whose name was Regild Dog Burglar. <laughs> <laughs> Which is That's excellent d- 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 delight, genuine delight. <laughs> um. Dead now at my hands, the dog burglar. He's burgled his it. last dog.
0: <laughs> I would commit to playing it more, but um, realistically, it's not going to happen, is it?
1: Yeah. Have we talked enough that Elden Ring is out? <laughs> not quite. <laughs> <laughs> uh I'm checking again. I'm checking again. Unlocks in a properly in a proper in a, a pro, approximately one hour. I'm so excited I can no longer pronounce words. But, yeah, I am I am looking forward to it. I wonder what George R.R. R. Martin did on Elden Ring. Mm,
0: yes, that's a good question. I uh, I have my suspicions that it may not have been terribly much, but,
1: you know. I don't know. Don't count him out. Uh, there'll be a moment in it where um, some, like, bread and meat drippings, like, get <laughs> yes. on your shirt or something. Yeah. Like, you end up,
0: you know, your mount turns into a, just a giant capon at some point. <laughs>
1: Good. Do you have any other Warhammer thoughts? Because I don't.
0: No, not really. I'd be intrigued to see where it goes, but it's it's, uh, it's probably not going to happen for me, this uh,
1: this side of Elden Ring. I think I'm going to try and finish my campaign alongside getting started with Elden Ring, and that is folly. But I do. I am really enjoying it. Like I, I want to see that campaign through. I suspect I'm on the same course I have been on with most of the games in this series, right? Where it's like, I'll get my first campaign done with the faction I like the most, and then I will try a bunch of the other stuff, and then I will try it again when Mortal Empires happens or whatever and they add the rest of the factions. Yeah, And that will be, um, I'll very happily get my kind of investments worth out of it. I do, um, one thing I will say, for me at least, I appreciate that people have had a lot of performance issues. For me, the campaign map stuff runs so much faster than it used to. Like the, the turn switchover stuff is, they finally made that like, not instant, but like, fast and configurable to make it fast which I really appreciate because like I imagine one thing one of my awareness is with Total War is I know there are people who play it on harder difficulties and are good at it and have a, a more sort of engaged experience of its systems than I do and I think for those people watching like a random skaven priest walk uh six inches on the other side of the world is like vital strategic information <laughs> I have never cared and I spend the entire time aware that the game thinks I care and I don't, you know? Like, I will I will never n- know what to do with that information. <laughs> it's like, mm, yeah, he's there now, isn't he? Yeah.
0: Are you interested at in- all in the multiplayer?
1: Um, I've never really played it. I think I tried a bit of Total War multiplayer previously. Um, and I've never played campaign multiplayer. I guess I would be. I don't know. It feels like committing to a big board game, right? That's kind of what it mm-hmm. feels like to me.
0: Um, I don't really have a sense of how involved it is, like how committed you are over time.
1: I suspect, like one thing, because I've never really played very many grand strategy games competitively like that. But my sus- maybe this is maybe this is like too much of a uh, an ass pull of a take. But my suspicion is that it, it doesn't feel like a sandbox that's necessarily going to create like um, crazy multiplayer stories, right? like it i i always have the the feeling that the kind of cause and effect chains of player actions are quite um they they're quite limited in how far they go beyond where they first have impact right you take action against a particular faction you defeat a particular army you assassinate a particular character those things have meaning but unlike say like a crusader kings or something like that it feels like it's unlikely that some kind of great uh you know um like uh mousetrap style series of catastrophes could unfold that really change the status quo mm. i don't know how like that that could be completely wrong and i'd be really interested if anyone had like a story from a previous total war game where that kind of like domino effect kind of thing was possible but for me that's the appeal of like i don't know multiplayer geopolitics games right yeah like the, the kind of the the fact that you're all pushing and pulling and tugging at the same web of um dynamics and power systems whereas total war for me seems to come down to a bit more like a resource race or a like a board game more like an engine building game in some ways like to what extent can you build a a little machine capable of spitting out high level sustainable armies faster than your opponents can Hmm. which and i'm not discounting that i think it has interest but i suspect to get me to commit to a long multiplayer session i would want to feel that like the story of that campaign was going to be interesting rather than the story being Uh, my cities were very well conceived and uh, I won
0: I wonder what uh, yes I mean I'd be interested to know even how the actual uh, real time battles play out with another human because obviously you can't use any of the uh, bad player experience inducing cheeses that you might in uh, to actually stomp the AI maybe it becomes more of a stalemate
1: didn't someone once add or did they once add like voice control to Total War
0: well, that's a question I do that, not know the answer
1: to. That the, This is uh, maybe completely wrong, but I think someone once did that, and that would feel like a fun way to control it in multiplayer. I would play that. You'd have to scream.
0: <laughs> not into the trees, you fucking...
1: Stand in a line, but like about 14 degrees rotated right from where you're... <laughs> yeah, no, no, back a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, okay, stay there. All right, now go. That, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that would be me in battle in the, in the, in the wilds of uh, the old world. <sighs> Should we call it? Yeah, probably going to play Destiny for an hour, if I'm honest.
0: <laughs> that's all the time we have for this podcast. If you'd like to send us a question or even an anecdote about playing Total Warhammer, online with other real human beings you can send that to us at questions at creightoncrowbar.com or you could tweet us at creightoncrowbar you can watch these recordings uploaded as videos to youtube where you can find other nonsense by us the address for that is youtube.com slash creightoncrowbar thanks as always to our backers on patreon you can back us too at patreon.com slash creightoncrowbar or you can simply join our wonderful discord community link for which is on our website creightoncrowbar.com that's it.
1: I've been Marsh Davis, and I've been Chris Thurston.
0: Thanks for listening,
1: everybody. Chase me, chase me. That's jizz.